Hey, listen, docs. Caring for patients is stressful enough. But for medical entrepreneurs, they don't have a choice. Having to also promote your practice and then manage it as a thriving business is mad challenging. So Patient Pop is that all-in-one solution you need to improve your online presence so that your patients can find you easier online. It even automates those redundant, annoying front desk tasks like rescheduling and follow-ups. But look, most importantly, it allows you to keep up with your patients during this COVID pandemic with its robust telehealth option. So learn more at patientpop.com. What's going on, everyone? This is Dr. Nee. And Dr. Renee. And this is another Ask Dr. Nee segment. I think we probably have to change this to the Ask Dr. Darko segment, because for the most part, the Ask Dr. Nee segments have been answered by both of us. As y'all can tell, it is, I think, one o'clock in the morning on this end. Yep. And this is the only time with COVID-19, the pandemic, this is the best time for us to do our work together, record together without having to worry about the kids waking up. So much for that plan. Right, right, right. So we're going to be answering some questions. Once again, I really appreciate everyone submitting their questions. We get a lot of questions through Instagram, which is the way how I prefer it. Or we get questions through Facebook. We've got two big questions that we're going to answer this segment. And then we're going to talk about actually Mike Pence going to the Mayo Clinic and not wearing a face mask. And we want to know what y'all think about that. We're going to offer our opinion on that. Let's get started. What do you think? Let's go. So if anybody has any questions on Facebook, if anybody has any questions on Instagram, just write them down, put them in there. We'll try our best to answer them. So we got a couple more people jumping in on Instagram. Nobody's in Facebook. We're only in the docs outside the box nation Facebook. No, somebody's there. Three, two other people. Two other people watching. How come I don't see them here? I don't know. Okay. There you go. Pam Middleton is watching. Oh, Pam Middleton is on? Okay. Hi. Okay. So this first question is actually from an anesthesiologist. Apparently, we know each other. I was a fellow in 2011 at University of Miami in the trauma department doing trauma critical care. And apparently, I think he was a resident or maybe a medical student during that time. He was a medical student. He goes by the... How does it go about his... Dadesthesiologist. Dadesthesiologist. I can't... (laughs) I keep saying the datologist, but is the dadesthesiologist, which is a pretty cool play on words. So basically, he is very well trained. Went to University of Miami, graduated, and then from there went to Johns Hopkins and then also did some fellowship at Duke. And he writes in and his question is, I'm currently about 18 months out of training and am a cardiothoracic and general anesthesiologist practice in Orlando. My wife and I are also staring down the barrel of $600,000 of combined student loan debt. We know about that. And look forward to learning more about how you paid yours off. Though I love my job, and he puts love, he capitalizes it. I am also in the very, very early informative stages of tuning my passion into a side hustle with a blog mostly focused on anesthesia and parenting, hence the name Dadologist. Dadesthesiologist. Oh, Dadesthesiologist, my bad. Despite having many would describe as a secure career, the current pandemic has revealed that nothing is 100%. Definitely agree with that. Mm-hmm. So someone wrote, I thought you were Tay Diggs. Oh, no. <laughs> you haven't gotten that in a while. <laughs> yeah, I haven't. So I'm trying to build my path outside the box. Thank you again for all that you do and for being an inspiration for young physicians and fathers. All the best. 
Well, thank you very much for writing in. This is a really pertinent comment and remark. And I think something that a lot of people are going through. And it sounds as though your wife may be in medical school or maybe a physician also with all of that student loan debt or maybe a lawyer. Yeah, that's a lot of debt. So this is a great question and something that we answered probably in episode 100, I think. Mm -hmm. So about a year and a half ago, two years ago, we answered it because we had just recently paid off $662,000 of student loan debt. And we're really happy to talk about that during that episode. But since then, we really haven't focused back on that. Yeah. And I think that we probably should be talking about it more, telling people not just about us paying off the student loan debt, but more importantly, talking about how we did it. And that's what this question basically is, is asking, how do we pay off that debt? And then also this person obviously is starting to be a doc outside the box. So that's something that we need to talk about. So how about we jump right in? Because this is going to take some time. Yeah, go ahead. So I recommend everybody get out a pen and paper if you're really interested in this. So what we did is I just like to delineate it into there's some mental hacks that we made. And then there's actual like physical hacks of working, taking, you know, multiple shifts and things like that. But we started off with the mental hacks, getting our mind right, getting ourselves into a point where we're thinking differently about money. And the biggest thing that we did, the first thing that we did was we made a promise. We made a pact that we weren't going to incur debt anymore. So I'm talking about no longer leasing a car. We weren't interested in purchasing a house. Anybody who asked us about purchasing a house, we just said we already have a house. And we had two houses. <laughs> we already had a house and the house was mortgaged through Sally Mae. And what Dr. Renee is talking about is- a townhouse. I had a townhome and I was making payments on that. And that by the time we got married, it was getting rented. And then also no vacation homes, no, what do you call those things? Timeshares. Timeshares. You know, none of those things where you're spending money on luxurious items that mm-hmm. you really- don't need. So we made a promise not to do that anymore at all. Do you want to talk more about that at all? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely something that luckily for us, we were on the same page with because, you know, not necessarily a lot of couples are on the same page with not incurring any more debt, right? So I want a new car or, you know, I really want this house or, you know, they're swiping their credit cards. Now I'm somebody who I'm very debt averse. You know, that's maybe starting to change a little bit. We can talk about that at another time as to why, but I'm generally very debt averse. And so I hadn't had a credit card in about 20 years. So we were very lucky to get on the same page with that. But I think that's one of the first things that's very, very important that if you are trying to get out of debt, look at all of your debt now and just decide, you know what, we're not going to do any more. Okay, so even if you have student loan debt, you got a car, you know, you got a house. We did have a lease at the time. We just said we are not going to renew that lease for the car. We're not going to buy a home. We're not going to swipe a credit card. Let's focus more really quickly on the whole leasing and so forth. So the way how it worked, Renee brought a lease into the relationship. I had a car that was already, you know, on its last legs. So when we got married, we had... We just had the lease. Yeah, we just had the lease. Yeah. So we went ahead and we purchased a used car in a loan, but we put down a significant amount with cash. And then we basically made a payments for the rest of the car. And then shortly afterwards, we made a decision that we were going to just pay it off. So we had a used car. It really wasn't used much, but we bought a Hyundai and we were really happy with it. And we're still happy with it Mm -hmm. right now. But then when it was time to give up the lease, 
we made a decision, a little bit of an emotional decision that we probably should not have made. But basically the standpoint was, well, we have a lease car, which if any issues occur with the car, we could always send it back to the dealer and they'll have to fix it for the most part, you know, without us incurring any fees. But since we had a used car, we made a decision to release another car so that if we had a used car and that caused us any problems, then more than likely the brand new car, the brand new car would not give us any issues, which looking back, that was purely emotional. That really wasn't based off of anything like factual of what could happen. Yeah. So for the next three years, even though we had one car that was paid for, we leased the other one. But one of the things that we did was we were able to take that payment that we had for our lease and we actually were able to pay our lease payments, but then we were able to find somewhere in our budget that same amount that was for our car. And we used that and put that into a separate bank account. Mm -hmm. And every month that we paid off our lease, we put that additional amount in a savings account. And we calculated that if over three years we were to do that, that would be enough at least to save up for a hoopty. Right. If worst case scenario. Right. A pinto. A pinto, right? <laughs> a Dotson. Right. So that's the reason why we released the car during a time that we were trying to pay off debt. So basically. Well, no, that particular decision, was that made while we were trying to pay off the debt? I don't think it was. No, that wasn't made at that time. Was it? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Because I remember that we made that decision, but it was shortly after we leased it that we decided not to incur any more debt. And we were like, oh, we shouldn't have gotten that lease. I think that's how that happened. Okay. It's been a while. But still, that decision was based off of the fact (laughs) that we had a used car. Yes. We didn't want to have a used car and then also another used car. car. So that was flawed thinking on our own. Right. Okay. So once we made that promise not to incur any debt anymore, any debt that we were going to create or anything that was going to cause debt, we would have to pay for in cash. Mm -hmm. So that also included IVF. So we went through all of our years of dating, going through med school, residency, all these different things, all to find out that we were having a significant problem having children. And as a result, we had to do IVF. Several cycles. Several cycles of IVF. And to all of you all who know, Or if you don't know, IVF costs a grip. It is expensive as heck. And for the most of you all who are listening, if you decide to do IVF, your insurance ain't going to pay for it. Well, it depends on where it was. Well, that's what I said for the most of it. Most states don't cover that. That's true. Most states don't cover that. Yep. You know, so we ended up making a decision that I would do locums and I would work at my primary job and then I would bounce and work in another state just so that we would not have to take out a loan or put IVF treatments on credit card. Yeah. So there was a point where I was away two weeks for several months in a row for a significant period of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So you had to wonder, was that why we weren't having kids? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I mean, that probably could have been part of it, right? That could have been part of that it. That could have been part of it, which actually brings a larger point of, you know, it's really interesting how financial troubles or trying to get out of debt or just money in general can really affect your ability to have a family. Mm-hmm. You know, that was really humbling. At the time, because once we started to realize that maybe me being away was actually hindering our ability to have children. But then at the same time, if we try to do IVF, then we're going to incur debt. Right. It was was in a no-win situation. Yeah. The cash money too. But we were able to do it. So we did several rounds of IVF. They were unsuccessful. All of them. All of them were unsuccessful. And then our two-year-old and then this one right here also came naturally. So both of them came naturally. And checks in the mail. We'll take it or out of there. Or not check. We'll take it out of there. <laughs> we'll, 
invoices in the mail. Yeah, we'll take it out of their college fund. You know, that came and just that's the way how life is. So the next thing that we did also is we got rid of purchases that we don't need anymore. And that was Mm -hmm. another big, important thing. What I mean by that is no cable. So no cable whatsoever. We just did. We bought an antenna, put it in our house, and we were watching just free TV. And then we had a Netflix account that, to be honest with you, I was taking someone else's password and login. And that was it. I didn't buy a pair of clothes for close to five years. Remember that? Yeah, that's right. You didn't buy a pair of pants. You didn't buy any shirts. Yeah, I took really good care of the clothes of the clothes that I wore. But most of the time when I went to work, I was wearing scrubs. Right. And then when I went out, you know, it was just very like, you know, (laughs) it was like dad pants and stuff. (laughs) The biggest thing that we used that really helped us out, I think, was we said there was a lot of no's to social gatherings. Yeah. So uh, we got asked a lot. This guy's a social butterfly, let me tell you. It's true. People, People just meet you and they just, hey, you want to go to dinner? I'm like, I never get invited to dinner, by the way. He always gets invited to dinner. I think I got like resting bee face. <laughs> she said it, not me. <laughs> like, But I did get asked a lot. But, you know, someone asked, they said that's commitment and discipline. It is. But for the part about not going to social gatherings, we would just use each other as excuses. Or we'll just use our budget. We just were really open about it. We're like, look, we're trying to pay off debt. Yep. And it's not on our budget after a while. Exactly. You know, exactly. so we tried our best to make sure we didn't go out to as many social gatherings. Actually, we just stopped going. <laughs> yeah. And we used each other as, you know, this is how we hang out. And there's one reason why I brought this up. So it's really important to make sure that when you are paying off debt or when you are trying to, you know, grab a hold of your finances, that you understand how much money goes out with eating. So for example, like we hadn't hung out with our friends in New York for at least six years, right? And we were getting ready to move back to Jersey. Actually, we moved back to Jersey. And one of my friends said, why don't we all get together, go to New York, hang out in New York. This is around New Year's Eve. And we ended up going to, what's that spot? Fogo de Chao. Fogo de Chao in New York City, right next to Lincoln Center. So I budgeted $150 for this dinner. Actually, we ended up spending over $250. Yeah. Because there's multiple bottles of wine, alcohol, and you know, some people, whenever you go out to eat, it's split the bill exactly. Whereas, <laughs> depending on who you hang out, it's like, yo, I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that bottle of wine or I had a sip of wine. And we went out and hung out and we had to split it evenly. And it came out to over $250, which was over the budget. You know, so yeah. I'm just letting you know that that was a huge deal in terms of trying to make sure that we kept costs at a low Amount. Now, the places that we were getting invited to on a regular, we were in rural Pennsylvania, so we wouldn't be coming anywhere close to that at right. all. But multiple invites would then add up. And that was the issue was that, you know, just multiple invites plus us going out just, you know, to eat on our own, all of that added up. So you have to be really, really diligent about your budget. And just, you know, just look, you're an adult and you know me, I'm very big in saying that no one can put their hand in my pocket, right? No one can put their hand in my pocket. So if you invite me to dinner, like that time you got invited to dinner and you had said, well, yeah, we have dinner with such and such. And I was like, well, tell them we can't go. And you were like, got to get the sun. (laughs) And you were like, why? (laughs) And I basically said, look, we're two grown people and We just need to tell them it's not in our budget to be able 
to go to dinner. And so that was basically the reasoning that we gave them. Hey, look, guys, you know, we didn't budget for this month to go out to dinner. So guess what? We're not going. Maybe we can catch you next month. And that's really important. You know, you have to be able to really just let people not put their hands in your pocket when you're trying to pay off debt and not feel embarrassed or not feel kind of like obligated to make people feel a certain way just because they're asking you out to dinner or, you know, whatever event that they're asking you out to. So you just got to be adult about it and just say, look, I can't go. It's not in my budget. And that's okay because you can catch them at another time. Now, that's not to say you know, don't go out, don't enjoy yourself. We did go out, we did enjoy ourselves, but we budgeted for it. We budgeted for it. And so that's really important. If you're not budgeting for it, then you need to start budgeting for it. And then if you see that too much of your budget is going to entertainment rather than to the things that you actually want to prioritize, like your student loan debt, then you need to pull it back a bit. So that was another thing that we did. One of the things that we did just slightly before that, let me just take you back just a little bit. One of the things that we did was we actually tracked where our money was going. So if you haven't already tracked where your money is going, then you should do that. And we tracked our money for about three months. I'm trying to read the comments as well. Yeah. So we tracked our budget for about three months. And that's when we realized how much we were paying towards food, how much of our money was actually going towards food. Because not only was a big chunk of it going towards dining out, but another chunk of it was going towards groceries. So the question was, well, why are we dining out, but we're buying groceries, right? Because if you're dining out that much, that means you're not eating at home. If you're not eating at home and you are buying perishable foods, which is what was happening with us, then you're probably wasting a lot of food and throwing a lot of food away. And that's exactly what was happening. So we made the decision, right? In our case, we made the decision to eat more at home than to dine out. If you're somebody who doesn't like to cook or doesn't have time to cook or just doesn't want to cook, then maybe you make the decision to really lower your grocery budget and you know keep your dining out budget where it needs to be. We kind of did both. We kind of went ham on the budget. We went really, really low with our groceries and then ended up basically cutting out most of the dining out budget that we had, even though we did go out a little bit, but cut it out a lot. Because like I said, me is a social butterfly. He gets invited out all the time by multiple people. I'm just like, where are you meeting these people and why? Like, do you have a I'm hungry sign on your forehead? Like, I really don't understand what's going on. So anyway, we ended up doing a grocery budget of about $200 a month. Now, mind you, it was only two of us at the time. We didn't have kids. That certainly did change things. But we did $200 a month and we did that for about, I want to say a year and a half, two years. And that really significantly helped our budget because we were spending, I kid you not, upwards of $600 worth of food. And that was in dining out and groceries. So if you knock that down to $200 a month, you're literally like we were saving $400 a month in comparison to what we had been spending before. Now you can put $400 a month towards student loan debt or some other priority investment or something like that, then yeah, you're going to make a significant dent in whatever goal you're trying to hit. So look at those items in your budget that you might be spending a lot of money on, but that you think that you can cut back on. And if you can cut back, 
then you would be surprised at how significant the savings may be and not just how significant the savings are, but what you can do with those savings. You can maybe start an emergency fund, right? That's pretty important. You know, putting your dent into your debt, you know, doing just a lot of things that you probably thought you didn't have the disposable income to do. You can really, really make some strides. So that leads us to budgetary things. So I know you talked about what came in and what came out. The other thing too, right before we get into that actually is we made a pact also to when we were by ourselves and people asked us for money, or even when we were together, when people asked us for mm-hmm. money, we made a pact before we would go out is that if anybody asked us, hey, can we borrow X, Y, and Z? we would just say, we can't do it until we talk to the other person. Right. Right. So let's say, for example, someone I knew, someone in my family asked me for X, Y, and Z dollars. I would say, well, listen, I got to talk to my wife first and make sure it's clear. Mm -hmm. Same thing with her. And we always basically said, look, we're not going to loan any money. Right. Because we did not want money to be an issue of our family. So we could not afford to just give it away as a gift. Then we weren't going to give it away, basically. Yeah. And I thought that was really important, you know, I've gotten this question from a lot of doctors as well about what do we do when your family asks for money, right? Because sometimes you might be the only person in your family who makes, you know, six figures. And so it's very common for family members potentially to come and ask you for money. I mean, we haven't really had that experience, thankfully. But, you know, there are a lot of people who have asked this question because that is their experience. And so Our answer is, look, if you can't give the money away, like if you can't afford to give it, then you shouldn't be loaning it. Because if you can't afford to give it, right, if you can't afford to give that money away, then you're going to be waiting to be paid back from someone who had to ask you for the money in the first place because they didn't have it. So when are they going to get it? So if you can't afford to give that amount of money away, say that you don't have it. And I know that this can be hard sometimes because people look, oh, you got this nice house. You got that Rolex. (laughs) Look at those spinners. (laughs) They don't have spinners anymore. Whatever. (laughs) What is it? 24s? And with that, let's move on. (laughs) The other thing is we lived off of one paycheck. So even though it was a two-physician household, we lived off of the lower salary and then whatever was left from the lower salary and then all of the higher salary, we put all of that towards student loan payment, okay? Mm -hmm. And then with our budget, we made sure that we had a zero-based budget. So if we had $5,000 to budget, in our budget, we made sure that there wasn't any money left. All of the money would be used for various different things from food, transportation, Savings. Even to savings and even for a little bit of a slush fund to make sure that it was $500 left over to make sure that we didn't overdraft or anything like that. So we accounted for everything in our budget. Yeah. Can I touch on that a little bit? What's good, docs? So word of mouth and referrals, that ain't it anymore. The times and rules have changed and this ain't your old school attendance practice anymore. So we got to face it. Patients are taking charge of their care and they're making choices based off of what they see about you online. For example, did you know that up to 70% of patients have looked online for healthcare? You need an outside of the box solution to help you pop and attract the right patients online. 
PatientPop is a digital platform used by thousands of doctors to promote their practice, attract more patients, and retain them for life. So how does ending up on the first page of Google searches sound? But what about allowing your patients to pick their appointments online and keep up with your patients by using the telehealth module for times like this COVID pandemic? PatientPop has the answer to all of these. So stand out in the market with that comprehensive online presence and make you and your practice's first impression with your future patients pop. Learn more at patientpop.com. I just wanted to say, like, you know, sometimes when people hear the zero-based budget and they say, well, what do you mean there was no money left? Because you remember we went through that with my sister. You know, it's very important that you hear the components of that zero-based budget that Dr. Nee just mentioned. And like, that's the most important part, right? So he mentions, you know, that you pay your debt, you pay your bills, your monthly bills, you're going to pay, you know, whatever else you need to pay, but savings as well, right? So you're going to take a portion of that money and put it towards savings. You're going to take a portion of that money and it's going to go to your slush fund or your play fund or your play money. So it's not that you won't have money at your disposal, right? It's just that you are budgeting for your fund. So maybe you've decided that you're going to throw a birthday party for your kid. It's not that you're not going to have any money to do that, but you budget and you say, okay, this is going to be the fund money for this month. And it's going to be $200, $500, whatever you put towards it. And you're going to have that money to be able to have fun with your kid. And just like, for example, of Christmas or holidays, mm-hmm. if you know the holidays are coming, obviously every year, let's use Christmas for an example. If you want to spend a total of $1,000 on everybody for Christmas, then if you start in January, you just budget, you divide mm-hmm. 1000 by 12, and then you budget that amount into your savings account every month so that when December comes, there's no surprise. You just pull that out of your savings account and you spend that amount for Christmas. So I made an example of what it's like if you have student loans and you need to live and how to make basically a zero-based budget. So let's say, for example, typical physician, let's say, for example, and I'm going on a low end, let's say you're bringing in after taxes about $7,500 in, right? I'm just, just work with me on this one. $7,500 per month on this. Okay. So if you have loans of $2,000, right, your normal minimum payment for loans is $2,000. That leaves you with $5,500 left, right? So if you work on your budget and including transportation, when I mean transportation, I'm talking about your gas, I'm talking about even your auto insurance, Mm -hmm. and possibly just a little bit for repairs, just in case. If you're talking about home utilities, gas, cable, hopefully you don't have cable, but gas, electricity, water. We're talking about food. We're talking about miscellaneous funds. If you want to go out to the movies or if you want to just have something in the account, just in case you want to go to Wendy's or something like that, because we all cheat, right? There's nobody who's perfect. And then insurance. And this is up to you. But for example, for us, we had life insurance, term life insurance. We had low cost disability insurance. And then I also put in auto insurance also. And then rent. Let's say you put all of that together for our mortgage. Let's say we put all of that together and it comes up to 4840. Okay. So you have an income of 7,500. You have loans, minimum loan payment of 2,000. And then you have all of those other things transportation, home, utilities, food, 
insurance, rent, that comes down to $48.40, that leaves you with $660, correct? So what a zero-based budget means is that you can decide to take that $660 and put it towards an additional student loan payment, or you can use it more towards savings. Either way, you just make sure that all of the money is accounted for, right? So that's what we did on a monthly basis. We still do it to this day and it serves as well. But that was the way in which we were able to find the power of our money because we were able to use money that normally would get spent on, you know- Stuff we don't even know. Stuff we don't even know. Right. And we were able to give every cent a name. And once we did that, we were able to really multiply our student loan payments, okay? Now, with that amount, an additional 660 going towards student loans, right? The thing that you need to think about is maybe you need to bring up your income more. So things to think about are, can you do extra shifts at your job so that you can bring in some additional income? Can you do locums on the side? And then also the dadologist, did I say it right? Dadesthesiologist. Dadesthesiologist, my bad. Dadesthesiologist. (laughs) You said that you're interested in doing a side hustle. Is there any way that you can monetize this and start to bring in money from the non-clinical side hustle that you're doing. And basically, if you take all of these different things, right? If you promise not to make any more debt, if you get rid of purchases that you don't need anymore, if you make and live off of one paycheck and use the lower amount to live off of and use the higher amount to pay off student loans, if you, you know, take extra shifts, do locums, and you rinse and repeat this over and over again, you will see over time, over the years. It may take five years. It may take seven years or 10 years. You'll see over time that student loan payment will go down to zero. Yeah. Way ahead of schedule than what the student loan company has you on. Exactly. And that's all by, you know, you using the power of your income, using the power of working together as a couple, or Mm -hmm. if you're by yourself, you know, using Jedi mind tricks to trick yourself into budgeting correctly, giving every cent a job, basically, Mm -hmm. and really doing well on your budget and taking care of your student loans. And that's how we did it. Yep. That's exactly how we did it. So if anybody has any questions, make sure you hit us up on Instagram. That's the best place for me to see the questions and then for me to answer them on this show. Also, if you go to the website, if you go to homepage, drneedarko.com, on the right-hand side, there's a blue tab that says, ask me a question. If you click that, I really love to get a voicemail. That's a voicemail on SpeakPipe. And on there, you can ask a question for, I think, 90 seconds, I believe. And it's a great way for me to literally cut and copy and paste your voice voice. onto the show. And even if you have any comments about our payback method, if you have any comments about what we did, if you liked it, if you didn't like it, you know, let us know what's up. Or if you have any suggestions yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's move on to the next question. This one we're going to have to spend some time on just like the first one. This is a good one. This is a really good one. So I want you all to pay attention to this one. So this one says, hello, I know your time is valuable. I have a quick career choice question. It's not very quick <laughs> that I would love to run by you as well as look up to your positive impact in a medical field and value the experience you have. So thank you very much for saying that. I'm not going to say your name, but this person is a family medicine intern and with a heart for preventative medicine, lifestyle choices, and more specifically nutrition. She also has type 1 diabetes and spent a long time as a patient before becoming a physician. So she's been through it. She promised herself when she started medicine that I would do my best to become the type of physician that I wanted as a patient, someone who can help me find health, not only manage disease. In my current residency program, I am feeling unfulfilled. 
I have dreams of creating a physician health coaching online business for people with diabetes that includes educational courses. My goal is to travel around the world, speak at conferences, and eventually move towards helping physicians with wellness. My very specific question for you is, do you believe that finishing residency and becoming board certified in family medicine would help these goals? I have been contacting multiple physicians with this question in mind in order to gain multiple perspectives to make a thorough pros and cons list. I am contemplating leaving at the end of intern year when I receive my Texas medical license to start this dream. I have been on a second interview for a job in Austin, Texas at a clinic that specializes in nutrition and lifestyle medicine. The hours would be three quarters time allowing me during the days to work on my online business. Any insight on your part would be greatly appreciated. So first of all, I just want to say thank you for submitting this question to me. This question actually was submitted to me on Facebook through one of the Docs Outside the Box pages. So I want to say thank you very much. I apologize for taking so long. Um, Facebook, I'm just horrible with it. So anybody who's listening, just send me a question through Instagram or just email me or just leave a message on SpeakPipe and I'll get to you ASAP. But listen, this is a really good question. So basically, should you finish residency if you want to have a long-term impact on nutrition, on healthy lifestyle? I'm going to throw this up. Who wants to go first? You want to go first or you want me to go first? You can go first. So my answer to you is I'm looking at your question and some of the supporting information that you put in there. Some of the things that I see is that you have a heart for preventative medicine. I also see that you want to create a physician health coaching online business, and then you want to speak at conferences, and you want to move towards helping physicians with wellness. So the reason I focus on those things is those are very physician-specific things. And if that's what you truly want, then it looks like the best thing for you would be to finish residency. And the reason I say that is if you were to finish residency and become board certified in family medicine, it would make you credible. It would make you a lot easier to be you know, taken seriously by your colleagues in the medicine field, which is who you are trying to promote your products towards. I also think that it'll give you a lot of options, but I think Dr. Renee is going to talk more about that. So based off of what I'm seeing here, I think the easiest answer is it depends, right? Because if you're feeling unfulfilled and I'm not going to be the one who's going to push you to finish something that you don't feel that you're having any happiness or joy from, I think we have a huge problem with physician burnout. But if you think that this is something that you can you know, kind of push through and you see that there's light at the end of the tunnel and allowing you to go in a different direction and do these things, such as helping physicians and, you know, not be a doc in the box, but be a doc outside the box, then I would say, yeah, if you can do it healthy with balance, making sure that your mental health is under control, making sure that you're clinically, you're sound, then I'd say it would be worth it to go after it. So what do you think? Yeah, I can see all those points. I think that you make a very good point with the fact that if she wants to do physician-specific work, right? We tend as physicians to look for that credibility. And so it's like, okay, well, if you finish residency and you're board certified, then that definitely gives you a leg up on your clients. However, you know, I'm someone who does like options, right? And so, you know, completing your residency obviously gives you the option to do what it is that you have in mind to do, but it also gives you the option of potentially seeing patients in a family medicine practice of your own or, you know, or wherever. And so I think that that option is a good one for you to have. Now, if you did not have the opportunity to do a residency program, let's say you didn't match, then obviously that option would be off the table. 
but it wouldn't be of your own doing, right? Certainly there are people who have not finished a residency who have had successful careers outside of traditional medicine. And so, you know, that's definitely something that you could have pursued if you didn't match or continue to pursue if you decide to leave your residency program. That being said, I'd also kind of like to touch on the fact that you're going to be taking a position, obviously, as it sounds like as a general practitioner, because you'll have had one year of residency under your belt. I'd like to add, just kind of make sure that if you are going to take this position, but you're going to be starting your business, to be able to go through your contract and make sure that your contract does not include a non-compete clause or, you know, a work clause that basically says that anything that you work on outside of that job is actually property or that you owe some money to your employer. You wouldn't believe it, but there are a lot of hospitals out there that do have those clauses. And unfortunately, Doctors tend to ignore those clauses and they don't figure it out until they've created something, start to monetize it. And then the hospital says, "Okay, well, your contract says. Where's my cut? Exactly. Where's my cut? Your contract says to pay up. And we actually do know someone who was forced to give that money to a hospital. I know someone who had to do that also. Yeah. Off of locums, actually. They weren't allowed to do locums and they went ahead and did it. But they didn't know in their contract that they were not allowed Mm -hmm. to do locums. And they just thought, well, it's an oversight. The hospital is really not going to come after them. Oh, they did. Yes. Came after them for that money. So here's my thought process on this too. There are plenty of nutritionists. There are plenty of gurus out there right now who are making videos. I know what you're going to say. Some of them who I watch (laughs) and I've seen results with. Basically, what I'm saying is there are plenty of people who do not have an MD or a DO after their name who have been really successful with having coaching programs or just having an impact on the world in terms of nutrition who aren't physicians. You know, so, you know, I know that this is a difficult question because you're balancing something. Obviously, you're not happy with some aspect of residency. And the question is, is it going to be the same when you graduate? right? Who knows? We don't know. But we're just giving you options and letting you know that there are plenty of people who are having a huge impact on the health of people right now, and they aren't doctors. They know all the aspects of marketing. They know all the aspects of nutrition. And let's be honest, how much of specific nutrition do we really learn outside of, you know, fats, you know, proteins, Uh carbs, and carbohydrates, (laughs) and how much they equate to in terms of kilocals? Do we really know how to teach people how to eat correctly? Oftentimes, no, right? Because we get a nutritionist to do that for our patients. So there are obviously people who have really great knowledge on how we eat and how that relates with exercise. And then also at the same time, how that relates with our wellness. And they're not physicians. So we're not giving you a definitive answer, but we're just saying that if there's a way that you can find balance with your education and mental health, then it may be worth it to keep going. But if you feel like, you know what, this is just not worth it, We're just letting you know that there are plenty of people who have been successful without a residency. Yeah. The other thing that I would say, you know, one thing that we didn't touch upon is you have to really think about why it is that you feel unfulfilled in your residency, right? Does it have to do with the residency program? Does it have to do with the specialty that you chose? What is the reasoning behind the fact that you're feeling unfulfilled, right? I kind of say that because I went through a very similar thing when I was in residency as a first year. You know, in my first year, I think I was burnt out by the first two months. 
But part of it was just the environment I was in, you know, just the people that I was working with, you know, specifically, that was the problem. I loved my specialty. I absolutely loved my specialty. So I knew that I did not pick the wrong specialty because I loved going in, talking with patients and, you know, doing all the things that an OBGYN should do. But once I came out of the patient's rooms and had to deal with my senior residents, you know, and some of the attendings there, it was just that for me was the issue. And so I did contemplate quitting and doing something similar, you know, going in another route that wasn't necessarily clinical medicine, but, you know, that ended up not being my fate. So you need to really think about why it is that you're thinking about pivoting and going a different route, considering your experience as a patient who has type 1 diabetes. And obviously... And shout out to you, man. You're doing good. Yeah. Congratulations on getting through a lot of medical issues that I'm sure you've gone through. So, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that when you first got into medicine, you know, maybe perhaps your first thought wasn't, oh, well, I have type 1 diabetes and I want to help other physicians with type 1 diabetes, right? So that's probably something that's evolved over time, which is great. But at the same time, you also have to think of, okay, well, why have I made the decision to go this route and potentially cut off the ability to do what it is you originally thought that you wanted to do, which is basically practice as a family practice physician. So I think that's worth exploring as well. These are really good questions. So we're going to end this Q&A with a little bit of levity. So this is not really levity, but we wanted to talk about this issue that we saw recently. Depending on when this episode comes out, hopefully it comes out really soon. We just saw Mike Pence, vice president of the United States, walking in the Mayo Clinic. Don't get me started. Without a face mask. You got me started. Giving people handshakes, obviously with his elbow dapping people up. you know. But just you don't giving... have a face mask. Why are you not just shaking hands? You're not taking precautions. This, this is where I really want you all to like write in or hit us up on Instagram or you speak pipe. Let me know your thoughts on this because here's my thoughts on this. My thoughts, you know, there are a lot of people who are saying like, well, first of all, his excuse was he's been getting tested a lot and obviously <laughs> his tests are negative. Yeah. And he was getting tested a lot. He doesn't think that he can infect other people. <laughs> So I'm just sitting there and I'm like, for me, I tend not to give the benefit of the doubt to people because I oftentimes feel like there's always something in order to get to that point of the government where you are, you have to be really savvy. So I don't say that people are doing things, you know, just because they didn't know. Obviously, what he's doing is against CDC guidelines. And obviously what he's doing is also against the Mayo Clinic guidelines or whatever their Their rules are, their policy Mm -hmm. is. So I'm trying to figure out why were they able to let him through? Just because he's the vice president, they basically, you know, shuck the deuces to like their policies. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. So you have him walking around without a face mask. So someone put ignorance at an all time high between. (laughs) Not ignorance. I don't think it's ignorance. Mm -mm. I think that because the president has said that, you know, he's not going to wear face masks, particularly when he's meeting other people from other countries. And he didn't think that it's a good look to be behind a desk and meeting different people and the president's wearing a face mask. So priorities, not ignorance. What do you have to say about this? Well, first of all, I want to touch upon the transmission issue. Okay, I'm going to go the medical slash public health route, which I think the media is the media, at least Chris Hayes on MSNBC, which I haven't watched in a long time, but I happened to catch a segment where he was talking with someone and I'm like, you guys are completely missing the mark here, right? So 
Pence says that, well, I get tested a lot, so I don't think that I can infect people. So that's an issue. But Chris Hayes basically says, well, yeah, I mean, it's a reasonable excuse, you know, as to why he didn't wear a face mask. I'm like, how is that reasonable? That's like saying, well, you know, I don't. Here it is. It's like saying I have unprotected sex a lot, but I get tested for HIV all the time. Like, so you're not going to protect yourself. And potentially you're going to transmit to others if you get infected, even though you test a lot, right? Because there's a point at which your test could be negative, but you're still infectious. You're still contagious. So this doesn't make any sense to me. No sense whatsoever. And I was really just like livid. I'm like, you know, I'm watching this interview between Chris Hayes and whomever. And I'm like, you know what? They need to throw this whole interview away because the interview is just garbage at this point. Well, I think the issue is, is that someone made a good point is and this is what I'm thinking is definitely it's a case of trying to make sure that everybody knows that everything is okay, even though. It's you not. Know, it's not. Look, we will be okay. We will get through this some, some, in, some form, in some form or fashion. But there's this growing amount of people or people who are saying, well, open up the government and everything's fine. Right. And I think I don't know if he's playing to that by saying, look, I don't need a face mask. I'm good. I just get tested multiple times and kind of not really paying attention to the science that says that there is an asymptomatic point. Also, you won't feel like you have symptoms or you may not have any symptoms, but you can still be transmitting this. So that's the part where I don't understand. So I went and I actually spoke with Dr. Alexia Gaffney. She was on the previous episode and I told her about what we saw. And she was like, well, you know, it doesn't make sense because like I just said before, you can get tested multiple times, but mm-hmm. there's still that lag a in between. There's that window mm-hmm. in between where you can get it from someone. And then there's a significant period of time possibly that you could be shedding this virus and not know that you have it at all. Right. So... This doesn't make any sense. It and, makes no sense. Yeah. And, the, you know, the whole thing about, oh, we're going to be OK. I'm like, listen, mankind, if you talk about mankind, mankind is going to be OK. But I'm not worried about mankind. OK, I'm worried about my parents. I'm worried about my in-laws. I'm worried about the people that I know and love. That's who I'm worried about. And if they're not on this planet anymore, which we do know a couple of people who have died, then they're not OK. So to say, oh, well, but we're all going to be okay. I'm like, in what context are we speaking here? You know, because I watched The Walking Dead and guess what? Those people are okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, when you put it that way. Right? Yeah, that's true. Mankind still exists in The Walking Dead, even though there are zombies. So yeah, okay. The zombie apocalypse comes. We're going to be okay. Well, look, you know, so we just wanted to bring that up just to be like, this is so and we how want, is he getting tested multiple times and his family members are getting tested multiple times when there are people who cannot even get tested or they are on a long waiting list to get tested? How's that even possible? Well, first of all, how is he tolerating that test? He must have the different test because I don't know how he's going to take multiple swabs exactly. of his nose. Really? <laughs> like my nose was actually bleeding when I did that test. It literally was somebody drilling through my brain. I don't understand how you know. For me, there is something awry here. And we need some science. And that's what we're talking about is to have science debunk these things ASAP as soon I as they happen so that we can get tested. this so that we can get this out. So Multiple listen, times. this is part of an interactive Ask Dr. Nee segment. So I want you all, if you have any comments, if you have any questions, if you have any suggestions, anything from paying off student loan debt 
to what this resident, this intern should do for a career to even what the vice president was doing. Is that cool or is that kosher or if it's not? Let us know that, you know, you want to get in on this. So let us know by reaching out to us through Instagram and through email, drnee at drneedarko.com. And then also, like I said, I love SpeakPipe. Hit us up on SpeakPipe. Just go to the homepage, drneedarko.com. Click on the right hand tab. Ask me a question and put your questions or your comments there. And I think that's pretty much it. I think we've covered a lot. We got another good Ask Dr. Nee segment coming up probably next week where we're going to be talking about the match. You guys are going to definitely want to listen in on that one. But I just want to thank you all for joining us on this almost like tri-simulate. I don't even know how to say this. Like we were broadcasting on multiple things. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're also on the podcast. The podcast. This was fun. So thank you all for joining us. Thanks for your comments, guys. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you all on the next one. Peace.